When the history of music at the turn of the century in Portland is written, if it is ever written, the write about somebody who played a major role in it. His name is Jim Brunberg, and he's with me in World Cup Coffee NT, Northwest 18th and Gleason, for this OMN Coffee Shop Conversation number 170. There's his own music, of course, and responsibility for Mississippi Studios, Revolution Hall, and a new venue, Polaris Hall, on North Killingsworth. Also, the new bar, 101 at Revolution Hall. I love talking to Jim. Let's get started. Well, Jim, welcome back to the cupping room. Good to see you, Tom. Last time you were here, uh, you were just getting uh, Rome schooled started. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now you've got new clubs to open. I have to take a break from Rome schooled for a little while because there are new clubs to open. There yeah. are political battles to fight. Yeah. Well, I want to get back to Rome School for sure, because I, I mean, I, oh, thank you for including me in that one, one on hippies. Yeah. <laughs> you were one of my favorite <laughs> interviews ever. You were the straight shooting hippie. Well, non-hippie. <laughs> laid, laid it all out for me. It was like, like an education. <laughs> it was the education that Wavy Gravy didn't, wasn't able to give me. I noticed. <laughs> I noticed he was a little spaced out uh, a little it, bit. It's weird. You know, he he is spacey, but he's also very applied. He's one of these guys. He's done so much good work, um, but he prefers to be regarded as being of the ether. He's really this incredibly <laughs> applied guy, and uh-huh. he, he's very accomplished, and he just doesn't like to toot his horn, get his wife talking, though, <laughs> and she'll put it all in context. I'm like, wow, really? That many eye surgeries? That many children? And it's pretty amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, he was always, a, you know, I mean, he, we were, were contemporaries, and I always admired him for what he did. Yeah. It was just kind of boring with the hair to listen to him talk. <laughs> yep. I've had those but, conversations with guys just like that, as a matter yep. of fact. It's okay, you know. Uh, they're my contemporaries. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, you get so new clubs. We are, well, no, new, um, new spaces. New spaces. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I've got a way of thinking about this. Um, you know, Live Nation is coming to town. Uh huh. It's, it's kind of an awful thing for all of the people in Portland who do independent music and have independent spaces. So, Is that the place at, at, at Lloyd Center? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And, uh, you know, I don't know much about them other than they're sort of like the Borg. You get assimilated, you play by their rules, and they assimilate the technology, they assimilate the talent, and you get short emails back from booking agents <laughs> saying, sorry, we have to go with the Live Nation offer. Yeah. Stuff like that happens. And that's, that's okay because, in a way, it sort of gets some of us... Um, people like myself and True West and Monkey, I imagine, and um, you know Dave at the Rose at the Rosalind, and yeah. and uh, everybody kind of playing at a higher level, and it's going to make uh-huh. it. I think it could potentially be good for the arts and good for artists. Uh-huh. So we're not opening new venues so much as we have this one. Uh, we have this one space called Polaris. It used to be the North Star Ballroom. You uh-huh. been in there? No, I've never been in there. Where it's is it? It's an old brick building. It's up near uh, Jefferson High School. Uh huh. In North Portland. And we decided to start having more shows there. On what street? It's on Killingsworth Court. Uh One block south of Killingsworth. Gotcha. We decided we'd we'd start having more shows there Uh because um, the town has lost a lot of the small to mid-sized venues lately. And um, we need to fortify how music is done and bring, you know, Portland's a music town. And, you know, frankly... A lot of cities that have been taken over by the Ticketmasters and the Live Nations, it's kind of killed that that uh, that flame, uh-huh. and uh, and it makes it so that these cities can only function on a certain level. And then, as soon as the acts, the musical acts, get to a certain level, they just get snatched up and taken into the right <laughs> into the blimp. <laughs> yes, that is Live Nation or whatever it is. Um, nothing against them. It's just it's sort of the nature of the beast, and it's the nature of business. Kind of mm-hmm. like when Starbucks came in and yes. killed a lot of independent coffee houses. Yep. It was their business model. Live Nation has a similar business model. Yeah. So we have this new space, Polaris. Um, it's not a club. It's a music space, and we also do private events. They have a lot of nonprofits there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are mu- orchestras rehearse there. It's a, kind of an everything space. Mm-hmm. 
And the other space that we're opening is we're finally opening a real bar at, in on the first floor of Revolution Hall, or uh-huh. Washington High School. Yeah. Uh, where the Buckman Tavern used to be is now just going to be called Room 101. Because <laughs> that's where Room 101 used to be. And so it's a it's four or five classroom size space where there were, where there once were four or five classrooms, but now all the walls are down and there's a big bar and uh-huh. uh, we'll have simple but quality food there and two of the spaces are can be rented out and there'll be things there like mm-hmm. open mics uh-huh. but there'll also be corporate events uh kind of it'll run the gamut are you going to book music in there no ah no other people might but we're not going to we're going to keep our bookings focused on and we're actually cutting down on we were booking bunk bar and a couple other places and we're cutting down a lot of the um you know outside bookings in sort of uh, random places and just focusing on curating the whole experience. So Mississippi Studios is the flagship. Yeah. And Revolution Hall is what bands hopefully graduate to, uh-huh. um, if at least if, they're, if they can handle a seated environment. <laughs> we tried to remove the seats, but the city wouldn't let us uh-huh. to have, like, removable seats and more of a dance club, you yeah. know, to do helio sequence shows. And, yeah. You know, where fans want to stand up, but mm-hmm. we just kept getting no's from the city. Um, so, uh, and so we're just going to sort of curate the the shows at Mississippi Revolution Hall and Polaris. Every once in a while, we we'll do an offsite. You know, uh-huh. when a band uh-huh. has a, a, a an agent who doesn't want to deal with Live Nation, we are allowed to shepherd <laughs> them through and continue to promote them. We do shows at the Schnitz and a yeah. couple shows at the Crystal Ballroom and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So, how many people can can you put in Polaris? It's about the same size as Mississippi Studios. Really? Yeah, it's just a different experience. That's about 350, mm-hmm. three, 320, depending you know, on how many band members and guests and rigmarole <laughs> are hanging out. It's, seated and unseated? or, or it, it can go either way. So yeah. Seated, it's about 250. Mm-hmm. It's a better place to have seated shows than Mississippi, so it takes some of the pressure off of doing, like, a Tracy Grammer. Um, yes. And, yeah. you yeah. know, just cramming that or Tony Furtado into Mississippi Studios. Now we can do right. more seated shows. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and it's a nice big open room, and it just... Uh-huh. It seats more comfortably. What did you do to it? What, what, how did you put your mark on it? Uh, and well, we, we didn't have to do much. It's a beautiful old red brick building. Really? It's weird because we've always built our spaces or you know, almost built them. Like Revolution Hall was an old high school auditorium, but we had to build it entirely from the ground up. Uh-huh. And the, the company that redid the building, Venerable, they did the whole the, the seismic on the building, and they, mm-hmm. they did everything outside of the auditorium. So we did the auditorium. We rebuilt all the seats to sort of match the historic thing. This one, we didn't have to do much. We redid the old floors. We put in a new stage. We, we, there's a nice big attic, so I was able to crawl around in the attic and hang. <laughs> uh, we flew a nice new sound system, so uh-huh. it sounds better. Um, but it kind of the building loans itself to to this kind of thing to crazy events because it's an old Oddfellows Hall, uh, <laughs> secret society. Yeah, yeah. Known for its uh, quote unquote more prog- uh, progressive yeah. leanings. Yeah, it, it's right across the the Jefferson High School football field from the Masons Temple. Oh wow! So I try to imagine what kind of you know rivalries these old fraternal organizations had back in the twenties. <laughs> 30s, you know, maybe they would go out and have football games or something or play pranks on each other. But the, yeah. the odd fellows were the weirdos. I would think they would box. Yeah? I think they would box. For the sheer, like, yes. brutality of it? That's right. <laughs> Jousting, know. maybe? What not boxing. <laughs> what is more primal and masculine than beating the shit out of somebody? I'm pretty sure, you know, <laughs> that the, uh, the, the odd fellows were the first to admit women. And they were ah. definitely, in Portland anyway, they were the first to uh-huh. have people of color as visiting members and then later as members. <laughs> so there are a lot of photographs. If you look up Oddfellows Portland, uh-huh. you find old photographs of, you know, the bands were mixed race bands, which really? was really rare at That's the time in unusual, Portland. unusual, yeah. Um, and another thing they did is they always left, uh, if you Google Oddfellows and skeleton, you find they always left a skeleton in the building somewhere. <laughs> And that was sort of a practical joke because Oddfellows Halls started closing in the 40s. Yeah. And they closed all up yeah. until I think the last one might have just closed in the 90s or wow. in the aughts. And they always left a skeleton. So when <laughs> you find uh, a real human remains in your Oddfellows Hall. We found the coffin, but not the skeleton. <laughs> We don't know what happened. We have they not left yet. real skeletons? Real, that's what wow. it says on the internet, Tom. I don't know. <laughs> 
That's great. Yes. So we found the, the coffin, and I Jeez. still have it, and not sure what we're going to do with it. Wow. Thought about putting it under the stage just to freak people out. <laughs> Nobody pops out of coffins and sings anymore. <laughs> they should, though. They should. Now, who did that? Screaming Jay Hawkins. Screaming Jay Hawkins, yeah. of course. That's right. I met him one time. Yeah. Yeah. Otis Blackwell introduced me to Screaming Jay Hawkins in New York. Does he talk loudly as well? Uh, just a guy. He doesn't know. Really, he's not a really Until screamer. he gets on stage. Yeah. And then, know, he and just then it becomes Screaming Jay. You know? It's like all the things about Little Richard that, <laughs> that your mom didn't want you to listen to. <laughs> They're right there. Screaming Jay. Screaming Jay. Well, you know, I don't know if you ever heard the, the story of how, how I put a spell on you got recorded. No. I didn't know that. Well, Tell us. They were, at a, they were at a recording session, right? Uh-huh. And they were laying down stuff. It might have been for chess or somebody. And it was time for a break. So they went, all, they went out, all of them went out and got roaring drunk and came back, and the rest is history. So, but, but the song existed, right? I mean, it was a... Yeah, well, yeah. It was, yeah, a, it was a pre-existing song. It was a pre-existing song, yeah. You just recorded that crazy version of it. Yes. Drunk. Drunk. <laughs> all of them. The whole band. And the engineer, which is why yes, right. it completely peaks out and distorts halfway through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I spit on you! And the horn section, you know, the, 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 the great, great baritone in, in that. Man. Yep. <laughs> so I came, I'm coming on out of, uh, taking a break from Rome School. And the yeah. other thing that, that took, made it so that I took a break from making the podcast, because as you know, it takes time to make these things, yeah. uh, was that uh, my musical partner and I got, started getting all the soundtrack work because we, uh-huh. did the, the, we did the soundtrack for the daily uh-huh. The New York Times Daily and yeah. and for uh, Dear Sugar and a couple other podcasts and suddenly this avalanche of requests came in so now we're working on some cool films and there's one there's this Mexican development company that's having us do all the music for this weird uh, jungle eco reserve <laughs> thing and there's just all these great opportunities now that uh, that Ben and I have to to do that huh. so the my business partner in the music venues, Kevin, he's uh-huh. just really patient with me. And uh, some days I'll go in and put in a 16-hour day on on the venue, but then he might not see me for a couple of days because we're in the can, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's why I appreciate you taking the time out to do this. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. I, I wish... I'm sorry that it doesn't happen more often. I always liked sitting down and talking with you ever since I first met you. That's fun. Yeah. Was it like... 16, 17 well, years it ago? Well, it was when uh, Mississippi Studios was facing the, the other way. Yep. <laughs> yep. And we also, <laughs> and you helped state. us, uh, you helped get Livewire off the ground. It was yeah. an initial, yeah. uh, like, yeah. meeting and think tank. Yep. And, like, yep. we all pretended to be hosts for a little while. You had a, st- <laughs> yeah. you had a stab yeah. at it. And yeah. Rob Sample had a they stab didn't like at me. it. <laughs> But we, we, okay. were all, we were all like... Young. Not that I'm bitter. Uh, me neither. <laughs> neither is Rob. Neither is Courtney. Well, yeah. okay, maybe Courtney's a little bitter. Well, Courtney actually got uh, got work out of it. Courtney Hommeister got an incredible... Oh, oh, oh I thought ex- you meant Courtney Vondrelli. Oh, Vondrelli. Oh, right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He got a workout, too. So Courtney yeah. Hommeister ended yeah. up being host of the show and right. now has a, a best-selling book yeah. and is in New York City as we speak. I hate him. I'm pushing sorry. that book. Which oh, is good amazing. for him. Good for him. I'm so happy. You know what? Uh, her. Her. Whatever. Courtney Hommeister. Eh, whatever. You haven't read <laughs> Courtney's book? You don't know. You, no. you should talk to Courtney. I should. Oh, she's funny. Yeah. She's one of the funniest people that I've ever known. Okay. And definitely one of the funniest people if you say so. in Portland. It is. Read her book. <laughs> I, I sense some bitterness, Tom. Oh, me? None me of us. No. Nobody gets out of no. the show what they, what they think they're going to get out of it. Uh huh. I mean, you learn something. I was with that show for 13, 14 years, and I, no, I would think I was the last, one of the last original partners to depart, Wow! but no partner departed uh, happy. <laughs> it just doesn't happen that way. You just look back and you say, yeah, that was part of what I did, and, yeah. but you got yeah. Some, yeah. something out of it. Yeah. So Who did, me? Yeah, something. Yeah, I got bitterness. <laughs> Material. Listen, I'm still pissed off at the, at the 69 Mets beat the Orioles. Okay, okay so I, that's that's our context here. Yeah, you came in bitter. I'm Italian. <laughs> Are you Sicilian? Yes. Okay, so what they say is true. It is true. That racist thing they say about your people. It is true. Absolutely. <laughs> the true. movies they make. That's right. The revenge. <laughs> yeah. The horse head in the bed sheets. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes, indeed. All right. indeed. <laughs> 
I need to go watch the, those movies again. It's, it's oh, been I, like five I, years. I watch them every time they come on. Cool. You know what I watched the other day? Uh, Once Upon a Time in America. Mm-hmm. The Sergio Leone with the, 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 the incredible Morricone score. Yep. And I was just going to say, the music yeah, in that yeah, is yeah. amazing. Yes, yes. Yeah. If we, me and Ben want to be anybody in this world, it's to be any of Morricone. Well, Everything he ever touches. No, is just I, I, I feel me. I feel the same way, and um, you know, uh, uh, Cinema Paradiso. You know, that, I was just going to mention that's yes. my favorite one. Well, every time I see that, I cry. Yeah, oh, every time, repeatedly. Of course just, you yeah, do. Right. Not the director's cut, though. It goes on too long at the end. <laughs> then I I saw I watched it for for twenty years. Right. Uh-huh. Cry every time. I have this. I have the, you know, of course have the the, the soundtrack. Everything right. you know. This, this, the soundtrack by itself is enough. Right. So. Um, <laughs> Then I'm I'm watching, cry, Tom. Then I'm watching it one, one, one night, and I think to myself, I wonder where they shot that. And I, I go to the computer, I, 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 I look it up, and it's in the town where the D'Antonis come from. No way. Chefalu. I almost died. What's the name of the town? Chefalu. Chefalu. It's on the northern coast. In Sicily. Yeah. Wow. And I'm going like, holy shit. That's an incredible <laughs> That's like, uh, coincidence. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. that movie is that Tornatore, the director. Yeah, he's made like four of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, yeah. and, and yeah. whenever they get remade and like put Robert De Niro in it and make an American version, it's always like, okay, nice attempt. But Tornatore had this rhythm, which is yeah. weird because the director's cut of that is not as good. It should end with the kissing scene. Yes. It has to yes. end with the kissing scene. It does, scene. I know. Well, he can't go back and rekindle the thing as a grown I don't want to uh-huh. see the car, him sitting in a car with the, the lost love. Right. No, right. It's, it uh, ends with the kissing scene. has to, yeah. We don't need to know. <laughs> Great movie. Uh, have you ever played any Morricone? Huh? Do you ever play any Morricone? In any of your any of your no, we don't do covers, stuff. man. <laughs> <laughs> no, his stuff's too hard. Is it? No, yeah, I, I wow. don't. I, Courtney Vondrelli could play a Neo Morricone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've talked like Torso should do a, a Neo Morricone I, tribute. I, I, I came here in '97. If right? you're listening, guys, do this. No, no, I came, I came to Portland '97. Met up with those guys almost immediately. I wrote the first the first piece on their first album. Right. I have been telling them since the day I met them that they should do Morricone and they. They won't do it because it's because it's like touching god i don't know i don't know why <laughs> i mean they do touching music they do no i mean touching god it's, it's just a, oh, to yes, cover yes. <laughs> to yes. cover a more any marconi is like true it's true <laughs> it, it's it, he don't do it it's perfect he, he yeah. orchestrates yeah. it also yeah. he, he does his own arrangements he's not just a composer he like comes in and he sees he conducts and he's yeah. there for the recording of it he's right. more like a pop yeah, star. Yes. He's the Beatles of. He is. He you is. Know, he is. More so than than. Uh, I saw um, Once Upon a Time in the West the other day, and uh, I found out one time that the tune that I thought that he composed expressly for Claudia Cardinale, the beautiful, magnificent tune, was the first time you see her in the movie. Oh, I know it is a Vorjak, right? No, no, no it's Morricone. Oh, it is. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but. I'm thinking, I know, he was inspired by her beauty, and he wrote this piece especially for her. And I, then I read later on, that nah, was just something he had laying around the studio. Just an extra, <laughs> yeah. extra little sweet piece? Yes. <laughs> we're, um, the thing that we're doing right now that I'm most excited about is uh, James Westby's new documentary called At the Video Store. Uh-huh. So it hasn't gotten any press or anything yet, but it will in a month or so when he starts doing the, the screenings for the public. But uh-huh. uh, James Westby, who do, uh, directed The Auteur uh-huh. and Rid of Me and Film Geek, uh-huh. uh, has us doing the soundtrack for his new... F- it's a documentary. It's his first documentary. Yeah. And it has um, your your guy from Baltimore. Um, what's his name? Uh, John Waters. John Waters is in it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. uh, Gus Van Zandt uh-huh. is in it. And uh-huh. uh, Bill Hader is in it talking wow. about his sort of favorite. He's a real film geek himself. Yeah. And, yeah. and so there's a lot of these people sort of talking about it, but there's all, also sort of reenactments of uh-huh. people working in video stores. And, and so it's called At the Video Store because it's, it has this sense of place about the mm-hmm. very long, almost long gone uh-huh. <laughs> uh, brick and mortar video rental store where people get together yeah. and geek out kind of the way we're doing right now and talk yeah, about yeah. their favorite movies. Yeah. And it's lost to Netflix and the Red Box and, right. and Amazon. Right. And so the film is about that sort of loss of community. Uh-huh. So we kind of channeled uh, best as we could 
getting this is what got me started on this the Morricone thing uh -huh. that sort of yeah. romantic past so that so whereas Cinema Paradiso channels the the lost uh, local cinema house yes you know and yes. all the love and the little kids jacking off in the front row I and the, <laughs> the fights crazy. out back and the drunk crazy. and yeah. the crazy person in this town yep. square everything yep. ties together yep. around this cinema house mm -hmm. well in James's movie even though it's mostly documentary and some interviews, it, it has the same kind of feel about it, about how there was... It was in the 80s and 90s, there was a real sort of people going to return their videos and getting recommendations and mm -hmm. you know paying late fees and arguing with each other over the late fees and stuff. There was a community there that no longer exists, except mm -hmm. for at, uh, yeah. at, at our own Movie Madness right, right here. Right. So. What's your approach to scoring? <sighs> so far... We've been lucky enough to sit, be able to sit down. So when we did um, the New York Times stuff, we Michael Barbaro, he's the host, he had a very specific emotional landscape. And he didn't send us any music, fortunately, but he sang to us <laughs> over the phone. And, sort of, and then we got together later with him in person and just bounced ideas back and forth where we were trying to establish a sort of a, a landscape. And that's the first thing we do is just say, well, where, where are we living here? So... And we talk about what movies we like, like just like you and I are doing right now. Yeah. And we talk about who the, who the listener is, how close mm -hmm. attention are they paying. Is this something that's supposed to get their attention, or is it something that's supposed to lift them up onto a, a different emotional plateau? Mm -hmm. um, so with, with podcasts and things like that, you, you, know, you never know. Right. With a film, you assume from the start point, you, you have them in the palm of your hand, and they're riveted, and now you're, you're going to go and find what the theme is. So... So this feature film that we're doing with James, it's the first time we've had a chance to, to deal with a character theme. And mm -hmm. for, it's, it's thrilling for me because I get to, you know, here's Tom D'Antoni. And yeah, yeah, yeah. what's the instrument? Right. I think of Peter and the Wolf. Like, what's his instrument? <laughs> yeah. Are you a bassoon or a clarinet? You're one of those. <laughs> Maybe a bass clarinet. And, and what type of, are you, is it short notes or long notes? Mm -hmm. And is it a fast tempo thing that, that's going to happen for you every time mm -hmm. we sort of touch on the theme of Tom? Uh, and that's that's where we start between Ben and I. But, mm -hmm. the, but you asked about the process. The yeah. process is much more driven by who's, who's directing the thing. So yes. if we're doing a commercial, the director's going to throw a lot of thoughts and words and maybe some music at us. I don't like it when that happens as much. Yes. Because then I know that we're he already has a piece of music in mind. Yeah. Or, or she. And we have to sort of do some sort of touch upon that mm -hmm. it, not an imitation necessarily but we have to get as close to that you know emotionally yes without sounding anything like that for right. our own yeah. <laughs> druthers <laughs> um but our pro the process varies you know yeah <laughs> long answer i i made a documentary on um the it was the first documentary on assisted suicide followed a guy for two years from the day he got his, his medication until he died and we shot his death and um you know uh, Keith Schreiner from uh, Dahlia? Yeah, yeah. He did the music. And we did it completely ass backwards. Um, I shot the first day, the first day we shot uh, interviews with, with the guy who was, was going to kill himself. I just flipped out because I knew I had something great, right? And, and he was, <laughs> Keith was playing at the Tiger Bar. And you could, you know, when, when Keith was doing this, you could always just go up and say hi. And he would just continue to play. And he, he didn't care, you know. So I went up to him and I said, listen, I have this thing, right? And I told him. He just looked at me and just looked up for a second and said, I'm all over it. And a few days later, he gave me the theme. He, he sent a score based on just the concept. Yeah. And the story that you told him yeah. about this yeah. individual. And it was perfect. That's great. Perfect. And I, I did have him score the death scene. Uh -huh. You know, I, I mean, we 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 we, we cut that. Well, that's great because they gave you music to cut to. We cut, yes, we yeah, instead we cut of placeholder cut, music, we cut to all his music. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so yeah. It, it happened that way with this with this movie. In one case, there's an old guy who who I all, all that's told to us is the concept of Marty. Marty had a video store in Brooklyn. Uh -huh. No, sorry, Lower East Side for 40 years, and he's going back, and it's now an Indian restaurant. And he's greeting people on the street, and Marty's a character. And we get to know Marty only through James telling us about him. And then we go and we write Marty's theme. And then we give him the music, and he cuts to it. I don't know if nice. it's that backwards. Nice. I think that happens 
a well, lot. I would like it to happen. You can't did. trust musicians. And if you right. give musicians right. advanced footage to look at, they're yeah. going to share it with their friends. <laughs> <laughs> Even John Williams leaked scenes of Star Wars. He did? You know, yeah. Well, rumor has it. John Williams was very trusted. One of the first things he did in 76 or whenever he was scoring the film, yeah. which he did very quickly, was that he uh, shared with some friends you know, on a, at, a, at a private screening in his home because you didn't have digital files back then. Right. He let some people see it that he shouldn't have let see it, and it put <laughs> a strain on the relationship. Wow. I don't know if this is documented anywhere, but I, I've heard it. <laughs> I don't care. It's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess the relationship survived because yes. he outlasted yeah. Lucas. <laughs> oh, man. So um, you still got your band together? Hmm? Still got your band together? No, no, just just me and Ben. Is that right? Yep, it's Wonderly wow. all, all the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah the yeah. old band from the '90s is—I uh, uh-huh. just couldn't couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna be the best man at my old bandmate's wedding, Jeff. Jeff, he he was so that band was really fun to do in the '90s, and he uh, he went off and ended up singing with the, the Further Festival, and uh-huh. I moved up to Portland, and and now he's uh-huh. uh, he and I were we were getting together every six months to do a show, kind of like revival. Yeah, that just gets really tiring, <laughs> and I love him, but yeah. it's just you know I don't want to do that. We well tired of that. Yeah, I want know. him to get married and go settle down, make some kids. Then 10 years will go by, and you go like, man, you know, it might, might be fun to do again. He'll go blind, is that what you said? No, I said, 10 years, <laughs> will, 10 years will go by. Oh, they'll go by. And you'll say, well, maybe we should do that. Just try that one more time. That was fun. Ten I have done that for, yeah. for 10 years. I only need know? a 10-year break, and That's then it. I'm ready to do it That's again. That's all you need. Yeah, but, you know, the old buddies, like, you don't want to get together with, get together with uh, PJ and, and, and write some I don't pieces. Ever, I don't ever want to get together with PJ, <laughs> ever. It would be interesting. No, it wouldn't be interesting. Yeah, no, like a really it violent. maddening. It could be boxing. It would, it would. <laughs> Point counterpoint. What an asshole! Watch two old the guys about PJ fight O'Rourke, it out. The thing about PJ O'Rourke was he was always an asshole. <laughs> Even when he was a lefty, he was an asshole. Yeah, he used to pee in the sink. <laughs> okay, like you've never peed in a sink. I've never peed in the sink. I'm sorry. Ever? Yeah, ever. So last time I was in Bal- or no, I was in Philadelphia. My friend has a basement, like a man space. Yeah. And I was there the night that he got busted by his wife. And she finally figured out that he pees in the sink routinely in the basement, which is his well, the basement. Space. The basement's a different story. Why? Because it's, it's literally a different story. You have yeah, to go up a set of stairs. It's, it's it's not where where everybody else uses the sink. <laughs> you know, it's mainly it's not where it's everybody the else sink uses right, the sink. Right next to the laundry machine. And well, she had noticed for a long time that there was a funny smell coming from the sink. And she'd asked him about it, and he wouldn't tell her. And then when I was there, he got busted. You know, um, I brought back the old underground paper um, years later, about 10 years later. Sons uh, PJ? Well, he had been long gone. He was, he, was, he was wearing fucking bow ties and acting like Tucker Carlson at that time. And still does. Except so he, weird. You know, anyway, and, and uh, what I did was I, I published all the left-wing stuff that he had, uh, he had <laughs> written for us. <laughs> right next to all the right. Did he the right respond wing. at all? Or? He wasn't. He didn't. He, uh, from what I understand, he wasn't happy about it, which made me happy. <laughs> I wanted to make him unhappy because he deserves to be unhappy. And he he deserves to have you nipping at his as at his haunches. He or deserves his... to have my foot up his ass. <laughs> And he's, you know, um, he's I can actually think of had, people more deserving. He's of actually the, uh, had a little run lately. Uh, he's been on the talk shows and stuff. And if and, and I don't know why, because every time he comes on, he, the only people who laugh at his jokes is him. Nobody else laughs at his jokes but him. And he laughs really like it's really icky. It's a very icky laugh at his own and jokes. You have to relive. You have yeah. to see this. And- well, actually, last time he was on Bill Maher, I fast-forwarded through everything he said. Anyway. <laughs> he might have might have blown some smoke up your butt at those times. He might have been like, you know, the reason I'm so successful oh, no, no. is he, because Tom. The reason he's successful <laughs> initially was that he lied in his books about stuff that went on with us. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I'm never going to read him, Tom. But I'm not bitter. <laughs> Who? 69, the Mets got beat by who? <laughs> That's mean. That's so really? mean. That's oh, so man. mean. That's so mean. Uh, so, but professional athletic sports just doesn't seem like it would, it would Me? Keep, keep your interest. Are you kidding? 
I'm still, sports, I'm still a huge sports. Orioles fan. I used to do the Orioles pregame shows on the radio. Yeah, but Kidding now, me? what do they do for you now? What is, now what is those they just guys... make me unhappy. Why? Because they lost 115 fucking games this so year. So what happens if they win every game? Then what happens? I'm real happy. But these these be some 21 year old guys who are traded like I don't like care trading cards. No, they have, they have the orange and black. They have the Orioles. That's tribal. It's it's it, so. <laughs> it just doesn't seem so? like you. And of I'm just it is. I'm not. I'm, oh, I, I have similar tribal feelings about certain college football teams, and I, I okay. Admit, there you it, go. It affects me, but I kind of thought that you would have uh, no eschewed oh, such hell no. tribal oh, hell thinking. No. Hell no! Hell no! No, no, no. See, this is what keeps the Republicans... Fin- re- the or- this is the why Orioles- Republicans are Republicans, though. The Orioles finished 15, uh, under 500 for 14 years in a row. Yawn. Shortly <laughs> after I moved here, right? And I suffered through every single year. I don't have... I've had no empathy for this suffering. I'm sorry. Because right. I, I, sports, I don't... I, it's just it's what keeps the red states red. It's, it's that type no, of thinking. Not. We no. are Republicans. We will never vote for a Democrat. No. We, we are Trumpers. We are always Trumpers. Always Trumpers are way more powerful than never Trumpers. I've never fucked a Republican. <laughs> Nor will I ever. You don't know that. I do know that. How do you know? Because I... I, I do you check the political affiliation of all your ex-lovers as you go on through life? Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, let's see. Susie. Yes, she's living in... Where does she live now? You, she you lives in North you, Dakota. You don't, you don't think women don't check, don't check men? And on some level? Oh, when they're maybe right before. No. This is an interesting concept, but yeah. I don't think it goes anywhere. Except for that, I don't get sports. I'm just going to say. Well, that's the thing. Right now, I don't even get why I like sports. That's the thing. And pro sports are worse because they're just traded like crazy. So? Under new rules. So? It's, it's so? And how come the American League and the National League have different rules? Well, because the National League is wrong. <laughs> okay I'm glad we settled that You're not going to get a good discussion out of me Involving sports is what I'm saying So have you played at, at, uh, at your new venue? No uh, Well I, before it was our I played uh, numerous times there Because cause we Ben and I always say yes to doing benefits So we did the bees yeah. uh-huh. uh, You know save the bees Or educate people about mm-hmm. how bees are good Even though they can sting you mm-hmm. And you might be allergic to them We played uh, neighborhood group you know, events there. We played a couple of weddings there. But then uh, when Kevin and I, uh, the woman who owned the building in mm-hmm. between the um, Odd Fellows and us, mm-hmm. did, sold it to Kevin and I very selectively. We were very lucky. We would never have been able to afford this piece of property, but she was a Mississippi Studios fr- fan, uh-huh. friend, and her son-in-law is a friend of mine. And so she said, hey, I think you guys will take good care of this place, and you'll, you'll keep it going as what it is. So yeah. we, we vowed to do that. Uh-huh. Made a handshake deal, and and so we will, and so like right now, there's a some I don't even know who's in there today. We we just set up a stage for some nonprofit that's doing their their shenanigans there today. Um, but so no, I don't I don't I try not to play my own venues. Every once in a while, uh, like Revolution Hall, we Cheryl Strayed mm-hmm. had a, had a, uh, a a podcast, a live podcast there with uh, Steve. And since since Ben and I do the soundtrack for her podcast, yes. we played it. <laughs> but other than that, that is the only. Would not, I would I would feel so nervous, and my staff would ridicule me if I were playing my own venues. It would just be weird. Really? Yeah, I don't think that you should do that. <laughs> I don't think I should do that. I think some people could do it. Like if Prince had had his own. I venue. think you should do it. I don't. I'm just not that kind of guy. I, what kind of guy? What do you mean, kind of guy? It's your place. Um, it takes. You, you gotta know, have a certain big set of pants to take the stage and be like welcome to my club well you don't have to have Tony that. Starlight could do that but he you, had the big but, pants he had the yeah, big... But, you, but you don't have to have that attitude you don't have to you don't have to say anything you can just be there in your club and enjoy it oh yeah but I enjoy it most when I'm not on stage okay I love watching kids play All I'm right. 50 I like watching like 22 year olds like uh-huh. who are just discovering the joy of playing okay. I like I really do I'm not saying that I I love watching kids get nervous before a show and get up there and give it their all like nothing fucking mattered Uh except for that moment. Now, for me, it's the nine millionth time I've taken the stage and I'm thinking about, you know, oh, am I going to be able to play that C-sharp half-diminished chord the way I Uh remembered how to voice it? And I'm just like getting all... I get all techie and... Well, maybe you should play a place where you should... where you do get nervous. Well, I do. We do. Okay. We play every once in a while. Okay, We just went down and did a show in San Francisco and I was very nervous. Were you? Yeah, the guy who made my guitar was there. The, oh, a man. bunch of old singer songwriters that I, yeah. I've always looked up to were there, yeah. and it, I was ner- I was 
sweating bullets. Really? Took the stage in front of a mere 50 people. But I felt more nervous there than, you know, when we sing the anthem at the A's games. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the A's are fine. They're not, oh, the A's are okay? They're not wrong. The Giants are not fine. No, the Giants are fine. It's just the Yankees and the Red Sox. Okay. Yeah. My it's father, an East Coast my, I've said this before on here, but my father taught me two things in life, only two things in life. To hate the Yankees. Hate the Yankees and love the <laughs> Orioles. But lo- love the Orioles first and hate the Yankees, except for Joe DiMaggio. I think I just figured out why you care, Tom. Why? You're dead. No, Your no. father. No, he was an asshole. I know, but the one <laughs> redeeming thing that you just said, you just it's said true. the one it thing is, he taught is, you. It is the one redeeming thing. Have right. you ever done one of these with a therapist where you recorded the therapist no, psychoanalyzing I, no, you? No, well, no, you just, no. You just have, just give me a um, moment here. Let's talk about your father, Tom. No, let's not. <laughs> let's not. But he gave you that one thing that yes. somehow you yes. held it, you hold dearly to this day. Because it was the only thing. Against all rational thought. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. I don't, I don't forget the things I hold against him. So when you talk to Rachel Taylor Brown, she's a very insightful person. Yes. She can read your mind. Yes. She must engage in some Tom analysis. Well, of course. Point. Of course. I'll have to listen to that episode. And, you know, I mean, I love talking about myself, so what the fuck, you know? <laughs> Just not certain deep regions of fatherly abandonment. Oh, fuck no. <laughs> Fair enough. But if it weren't in a public... Forum, like if we weren't here in this coffee house uh-huh. back room about to get barged in on by the sandwich maker uh-huh. or whatever is going to happen back here, uh-huh. uh, I, think you, I think you'd make a really good podcast that you can uh, get, go deep and then edit the shit out of it. I mean, that's what we did with Rome School. Was uh. my, I, my daughters were the foil. I mean, they, they really did come up with the questions, but then yeah. I could use them and they would be disarming and get people really digging deep yeah. and, and not sort of not... Uh, the way, the way adults go deep is different than the way kids go deep. Kids go deep with, like, the truth and, and uh-huh. basic understanding of concepts, and they challenge your paradigm in, mm-hmm. a, in a weird way that doesn't, you don't even realize that you're challenging your paradigm. Um, but the, without the kids, I don't think I could have done, like, what you do, like, interviewing people, uh-huh. because I don't have the, the desire to sort of go deep. But, but without the microphones, just one-on-one in a room, mm-hmm. I do. So I think that you would have this unique ability and desire combined both to do like the non-coffee house version of this, like the bedroom oh. version. <laughs> I want to know everything about Rachel Taylor's mind that I'm afraid to ask her. Rachel Taylor Brown's mind. Because when you listen to her, we, we were talking right before you turned the mics on, we were talking yeah. about Rachel, Rachel Taylor Brown's new album, yeah. which is incredible. Yes. You know, plugging her album. Yes. For whoever buys albums, go get it because it's amazing. But you will make you really wonder what the fuck is going on in this woman's head because there's some scary shit in it's there. Very scary. And but some of it's also very relatable. A lot of, of songs about Portland and, and tender. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and definitely and semi-religious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And those are the ones where I start to think what yeah. I really wonder. Yeah. You know, but I, oh, I, know. I don't want to invade her space when we're hanging out, having a drink. Yeah. By asking her, I know. that's your job. I'm saying you should do that. Oh, I'm not smart enough. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I'm definitely not smart enough to get to, to, to go there with her. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there is no little fucker moment in this album. No, there's no little fucker. <laughs> Which is one of the great moments in American musical history. Yeah. yeah. But the stuff in there about new to Portland or moved yeah. to Portland mm-hmm. is, is great. Yeah. Oh, Those yeah. are real. There are moments that yeah. she recorded of people. Yes. And I don't know what kind of trouble she's going to yeah. get into for this, but she, she yeah. cl- in a clandestine manner, recorded people having conversations about moving to Portland. And uh, she, there are four, four of them or maybe in this one song that are they're, they're not people being obnoxious, but they're people sort of just misreading what Portland's all about and mm-hmm. then she weaves it into this masterpiece mm-hmm. of a song about everybody moving to Portland. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I used to when I was doing a radio show on KMHD before it moved out to OPB, I was doing Saturday nights and I could I was I had no restrictions whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, it didn't. The show didn't have to be anything, you know, other than why, what, what I felt like. Whatever Tom wants to play. Yeah, I would always close the show with her beautiful song about Saint, whoever it was. Every week, it's great. It's from uh, I can't remember the name of it because uh, I can't remember anything. So you had Saturday nights and um, Stephen um, 
Sunday night. Stephen Cantor? No. no. Oh, Stephen Cantor. No, he, yes. who, who was it that had Sunday nights? It was, it was, I don't know. He was but, he was on that station for a brief period of time. It was a very eclectic show also. <laughs> you never knew what you were going to hear on Sunday yeah, nights. So yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. The airwaves were free as late as 1990. Well, you know, it's pretty free uh, at KMHD. I mean, I love each, what I hear in KMHD. Each show has a has a has has an area that it deals with, mm-hmm. but you know, um, it's it's the guy's done an amazing job over there. Matt, Matt has yeah. done, yeah, it's just really it's great. An it's a great station. Job. I listen to yeah. it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, you you have to go. I have a the morning the every month we meet for the P five the. I'm on their I'm their little guy. They have the they have an advisory council. What's that? The P5 is the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. Uh, oh, Ke- right, right, Keller yeah. Auditorium, yes, yes, the Newmark, yes. the Winningstead. Yes. And uh, they invited me to sit on their advisory panel a couple of years ago, uh-huh. and I learned so much about how they run their shit. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, I'm the club. I sort of report to them about issues. So when Charlie Hales had this terrible idea of uh, late-night activity permits, which was basically just policing... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hedonism and like <laughs> putting clubs through the ringer for no reason other than to run them into the ground and make room for developers. Right. Uh, I was the person reporting to the P5 about this, and P5 actually helped uh, to um, be a voice in ending the, the the late night activity permits thing. Well, that's good. And now, yes, the the latest issue is that City Council just voted on unreinforced masonry buildings. Uh-huh. Uh, URMs uh, that they are going to be placarded. They spent months trying to figure out right. a, a plan for improving the safety of these buildings, and they failed. And <laughs> Dan Saltzman uh, wants to leave as his legacy, his last thing that he accomplishes. He wants to leave uh, quote-unquote pu- public safety and education thing in which they're going to just go around slapping placards that say this building is unsafe in an earthquake <laughs> on every unreinforced masonry building in town as decided by just windshield eyeballing of the building. Is that no, right? No analysis, no engineers, no nothing. They're just going to look at the building and say, oh, it's made of bricks. Uh, it doesn't look like I, I don't see any steel uh, reinforcement, so that must be an unreinforced masonry building. The churches are up in arms. The NAACP is up in arms. Uh, uh, the musical community is up in arms. And Does it also say you will die here? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it doesn't tell you what to do or how to educate no. yourself about what to do if there's an earthquake. It right. just says... Don't go in here. And what it basically is is it makes it the only thing that it helps is it helps developers come in and buy piles of bricks that were a million dollars last year, but after their placarding, their curb appeal will be reduced to them being five hundred thousand dollar buildings. It makes it a lot easier for developers to come in and purchase and raise buildings. It makes it impossible for the building owners, if I can continue on this pedestal, yes. it makes it impossible for the building owners to refinance the buildings in order to do the real work that makes people safer. So, and one of the buildings that's affected is the Keller Auditorium. Oh, jeez. Because it predates. Wow. Yeah, you, yeah. So, hey, when you look up and down Mississippi, what do you think? Hur- today. Hooray. What? I just think, hooray. I'm, yeah. It, it's bustling. If you look real close, yeah, I wish I, wish I could see more diversity. I wish, but, mm-hmm. but I see, you know, I see LGBT people holding hands and walking down the street, and, and it's a it's kind of like the early days of the Castro to me, and uh-huh. it, it, it's it's a very open place. Um, it's more diverse than most parts of Portland. There are some boutique shops whose purpose is just to sell tchotchke for an inflated price. But, right. I mean that brings people joy too, and it's not it's not uh, Portland. It's not weird. It right. doesn't have a Church of Elvis. You know, it does, but but it's still open. It still has Mississippi Pizza, which has been there for over 20 years. It yeah. still has the Rebuilding Center, which has been there for 20, 20 years. It still has Sunland Lighting. Kay Newell has been selling light bulbs and nothing but light bulbs yeah. at this amazing, beautiful, giant store uh-huh. that people come to from as far away as New York City to get their light bulbs. Uh-huh. It still has all these great things in the hubbub, and uh-huh. I, I like that, it, it, that it's yeah. been largely yeah. preserved. Now, I say that from the luxury of having moved there in 99, and I wasn't there when there were successful Baptist churches or black-owned businesses, yep. so in, in a way I'm part of the gentrifying wave, um, but compared to what it looked like when I first encountered it, oh, which yeah. was pretty empty and boarded up, yep. 
I'm glad to see that there are a lot of thriving businesses that are locally owned. There's yeah. no chains that are nationally owned. Uh, there's no McDonald's or Arby's or Burger King. Right. And there's no Starbucks. The fresh pot is still there, thriving. Albina Press. So, yeah. does that answer your question? Well, nice going. How about what do you what do you see when you? I'm curious because you're when old, I moved I moved here in '97, and I drove down Mississippi and I said, "Oh, this looks just like Baltimore." <laughs> it was pretty burnt out. <laughs> it was all fucked up. Yeah, and that made it attractive to me. Uh-huh. It was gritty. <laughs> and then when I saw some things happening, I, I, that's really good. I really like that. Yeah. You know, and and I I do have problems with with you know some of the touristy places, but you know, I mean, I think. On balance, I think it's a good thing, you know. Yeah, that's, that's how I'm I feel. glad that Ural still lives around the around the corner in that yep. house. Yep. You know. Yep. And, and business the Mississippi the HMBA, the Historic Mississippi Business Association, has helped fight for his continued ability to live there, even though the city and him have had continued miscommunications about building permits and things like that, and yeah. have come after him for crazy amounts of money that no person could pay living yeah. in uh. that situation uh. so uh. yeah he's Ural's still there I mean Leonard is still there uh, very yeah. much a presence on the street Leonard used to have uh, Leonard's ribs where now Porky mm-hmm. No is yeah and you know it's it's very much a I, I feel like it's a tight community it's just harder you don't see it as immediately as you did before right so right right well, thanks for asking yeah well but, you know you, you, I think you deserve a lot of credit well, now, now, I think Phil at Mississippi Pizza and, and Shane at the Rebuilding Center and, uh-huh. and Kay at, uh, at the Light Bulb Store, they yeah. deserve way more credit than me. Well, I, I took advantage of their hench, hench work, and I came in when land was still cheap, but the place was moving up. Yeah. So. All right. Hey, thanks for coming by. I know you, you were really busy and you got you, know, you got to run, but I really do appreciate you coming by. It's great to talk to you, Congratulations Tom. on these two new places. Thank you. Why is it called Polaris? Uh, North Star. Oh. North Star Ballroom. Gotcha, gotcha. Polaris Ballroom. We just yeah. wanted to yeah. rebrand it just a little bit so that people would know that there would be some uh, improvements. You know, no, nothing was wrong with it. It, just, it did have a purple lowered ceiling that was hanging there. and <laughs> I, I went in and raised the ceiling back to its original height. That was my big... I, I got tendonitis removing oh. <laughs> the lowered ceiling and putting in new... Oh, man. New ceiling. Is there any evidence of Oddfellows? There's a plaque. Okay. You have to find it. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an Easter egg hunt. Uh, well, well, we'll look for that and the, uh, and and the, skele- and the skeleton. Yep. <laughs> hey, man, thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Thanks to Auditory Sculpture and Derek Sims for our theme music, Ghost Jazz. <laughs>